A couple years ago, I bumped into Benny at Starbucks in uh, Spring Hill, and I was like, man, that voice sounds familiar. I know that voice. And Benny, for those of you that don't know, uh, was a youth pastor for many years in Mary Lou, where uh, grew a youth group at uh, a large church in Birmingham to what would turn out to be 3,000 kids. And, but in the middle of all that, in the early 90s, Benny really believed in decentralization and in training disciples to make disciples. Long before it was cool, long before people were blogging about it, Benny and Mary Lou were doing it. And Benny was the first guy, if I'm being honest, that looked at me like I wasn't crazy. Now, that doesn't mean I'm not crazy, but he was the first guy that did because what we really believed that the Lord gave us a picture of conduit was one of decentralization. Jesus in Luke talked about this parable of a mustard seed that when it grows, it would be mighty uh, and would all kinds of birds would grow and uh, would come and roost in its branches. And, and I used to read that with a little bit of a mystery because mustard seeds don't grow into trees. They grow into little plants. And I feel like what maybe the Lord was saying in that scripture wasn't an exhortation of, oh man, the church is going to be huge and we're going to dominate. But it would be that, that could, that's the danger, that we could become freakishly large and, and all centralized in one trunk so that if that trunk goes down, the whole thing goes down. And when you look to the New Testament and the Old Testament, birds are almost always used as a picture of evil. When the sower sows the word, what was one of the three or four things that would come? It was birds would come and pick away. So I felt like what the Lord had told us for conduit was to be decentralized, not to be centralized, not to be one giant oak tree, but to be multiple trees throughout an entire forest. And Benny gets that. His ministry first priority is decentralized. Over 10,000 clubs in the United States. I don't even know how many around the world, and I'm on the board for First Party Global, but it just started where teenagers, one of the very first ministries to take ministry into high schools, right after Jay Sekulow won that Supreme Court case in the early 90s, Benny's organization was one of the first ones, and now in high schools all over America, including our own town, are clubs where teenagers are discipling teenagers. And he said this sentence, he actually says a lot of things, so get ready to take notes, because like. Even if here and I just having coffee or lunch, I'm like, hey, say that again. i got to write that down. But he says that we created a strategy, not a system. Because a strategy is replicable. And it can be replicated anywhere. But a system means that somebody's got to control it. So we at Conduit believe in a strategy of making disciples, not a system of making disciples. That's not semantics. And that's something that uh, Benny and Mary Lou have done with first priority. And further than that, and why they're here this morning, is to invest in us as parents. Uh, if you're visiting, know that as soon as our service ends today, we have free lunch in the back. Who says there's no such thing as a free lunch, right? You haven't been here before. So there's a free lunch, and we would like you to stay for our afternoon sessions because Benny and Mary Lou are going to get in and dig deep and question and answer and talk deeper. But this morning, he's going to talk about the family and how that's a picture of the kingdom of God and uh, and I look at that and think for our own family, for our, as parents, what did you, if, if, we, if we go invest in the whole world but not in our own families, right? And I don't want to be guilty of that, and I don't want our church to be guilty of that, that the ministry that is so important around the world starts every morning in your own home as the priests and priestesses of your own home. So would you make welcome Benny Prophet? Can we turn the lights on so that it doesn't feel sleepy in here? Um, if you are interested in keeping up with this, uh, do we want to hand these out in this service? I didn't do that. 
It's okay. Is it okay? Yeah, okay. This is for later. I'll yeah. have free uh, complimentary literature and soup. <laughs> okay, good. Thank you, Darren. Thanks, Benny. I'm going to bring Mary Lou up. Um, when I'm up here, I look old. When she gets up here, I get a little bit younger. I don't That's know if you know true. this. Isn't it? <laughs> they go, who's that old man? Well, he may not be that old. I don't know. <laughs> but I'm going to let Mary Lou uh, just share a little bit about our family and uh, as we get started. Um, so... Hey everybody, I'm Mary Lou, and and you, I know this is Benny, and um, just wanted to tell you a little bit about ourselves as he uh, speaks to us this morning. Uh, our journey started back at Belmont uh, University. Uh, that's where we met. Uh, he was a basketball player, and I was a cheerleader. So kind of picture that. Now, now the funny thing is the basketball uniforms. His shorts were like up to here. You, you, you know what I mean? Now, now they're down to here. And the cheerleading outfits, our skirts were like top in the knee, you know. So anyway, it was his cute legs that I was after. You know, you know. <laughs> they so, they, they yeah. went like this. The girls, yeah. the girls got yeah. shorter and the guys got longer. <laughs> so we've been married uh, 41 years now. And... Um, after that journey of uh, meeting at Belmont and then going to seminary and living uh, Texas, Louisiana, Alabama, and now back here in Tennessee at, uh, from where we met, Benny was a basketball coach, a teacher, a youth minister, and uh, I was early on stay-at-home mom, and then uh, my uh, career's been in teaching, so I'm approaching my 30th year can't hardly believe that. Um, let's see, I teach right now at Brentwood Middle School, a sixth grade world history, and so it works out perfect because all the different guests that we have in our home, you know, for, from our global ministries, and they get to come in my classroom and share. And um, my classroom kind of looks like a museum in a way because of all the artifacts and, and things that, that we've been able to share. We have um, three grown married children. They're all in their 30s. Our, our oldest is our daughter, Shondi. She gradu graduated from Samford, met a guy from Samford and lives in Birmingham, has four out of our eight grandchildren. And then a son, BJ, and his wife, Melissa, live in Franklin, and uh, he's a medical physicist, and uh, Melissa's a school teacher, but now stay-at-home mom as well. And, uh, and they have two. And then our youngest is another son, Joey, and he's in the ministry. Uh, he does uh, First Priority Birmingham and has a developed uh, a program for children because as we all know, the culture is just reaching down further and further to, to grab our kids. And so he's come up with just a phenomenal uh, program that they're now doing even in elementary schools uh, across uh, the city of Birmingham. So just welcome you all and, and glad to be here and would encourage you to come back this afternoon. I know it's a, that makes it to be a long day, but I think today in, in the afternoon part is more, um, more of a practical kind of emphasis on, on the parenting strategies and uh, and I just pray for Benny, and um, and it's going to kind of probably make me cry. But I think 
that the most important thing to me is that everything he says, everything he believes, that's who he is. And, and at home, with our children, with our grandchildren, the real deal. <laughs> now we can go home. That was it. Yeah. Thank you. All right. Thank you, Miss Mary Lou. I'm, I'm a messenger. She's an expert. There's a difference. You, you want to come and uh, if, if you want to hear a message, you can listen to me. If you want to know how to raise your kids, you talk to her. So, uh, <clears throat> but uh, it is good to be here. Now, I usually do this in small settings. When I mean small settings, I, I usually mean maybe one or two or three families. So I have uh, really no um, desire to speak to big crowds. That is... Uh, not a part of my ministry, but I'm, I'm glad to be here and speak to all of you today. But I'd, I'd rather it be just like we're talking and not, uh, not some kind of a message. But uh, <clears throat> we're going to go through some things. We're going we're gonna to operate at uh, 40,000 feet this morning. And then the session two, we're going to go to about 20,000 feet. Then session three, we're going to go on the ground level. So hopefully, as you, if you get a chance to stay the rest of the day, I think you'll see all of these things uh, come into play. And uh, <clears throat> let's go to the second slide. I'm, I'm going to walk around a little bit. Now, we're here. There, there's only one expert in parenting. His name is God. So, so there's one guy who does it right all the time. And uh, so uh, if we're going to look at a perfect parent, that's who we look at. The rest of us struggle. We, we have great kids. Our, our marriage has uh, not just survived, but thrived through over 40 years, not without struggles. And our children, we, we feel like we have great children. I usually don't even talk about our grandchildren. Darren, I don't know if I've told you this, but every time I talk about my grandkids, people are never satisfied with their own grandchildren ever again. It's, I have to really be careful when I tell people about my grandchildren because they go home really discouraged about their kids. So <clears throat> isn't it funny how, how we feel about our children and grandchildren? I heard this comedian the other day was, uh, said, now according to all of the grandparents that I have talked to, the next generation of children are all geniuses. Because <laughs> if you talk to any grandparent, well, you know, I know other kids, but my kids, they're geniuses. So, so, uh, <clears throat> so I'm sure they all, we love our children. And... Uh, uh, our families, I think um, we've been working on a message as we begin to travel across the world. We've been working on a message, I, and I'll, I'll pray, and I'll say, God, what, what is your message to these people when I'm in India or Africa or China, wherever? I said, what, what do you want to say to them? And let me just be your voice. And I think uh, I've, I've prayed for that as we launched our global ministry six or seven years ago. And it was very interesting what I felt like God was saying that the gospel that we preach is all about a family. Sometimes we turn it into a religion and we measure ourselves and even we measure our spirituality by religious ceremonies or religious rituals or religious language. And we say, well, boy, they're really religious or spiritual because they go do these things or they say these things. And so that's what we do. I, and I think, uh, I, I think when we do that, then faith becomes a religious argument. And that's sort of what we see around the world today. Well, you know, what we believe is better than what we believe, so we're smarter than you are. We're smart, you're dumb. Our, our book is right, your book is wrong. 
our, our holy men are right, their messages are, your holy men are wrong. We get into these arguments all the time. So if, if that's our message, if our message is that our religion's better than yours, then all we're gonna wind up is angry, argumentative, and eventually violent. Is that the gospel? But that's what it's become, whether we intended it to, and, and hopefully we don't all see it that way, but it's, it's become a message of superiority, but when Jesus comes, the, the fruit of the Spirit brings humility. So um, <clears throat> I, th I think uh, what I begin to say, Lord, if I'm going to speak to people, what, what can I speak to them about, uh, even people that aren't Christian? What would, be, what would draw them? What would connect us where they would begin to listen? And it was very obvious, very clear what the Lord was saying. And he was saying, you talk to people about family because that's what I'm about. I'm all about family. And we're going to find out this morning, we're going to look at a few things to realize that uh, <clears throat> the gospel is the gospel of the kingdom. Go ahead to uh, number three. We're going to, we're going to talk about um, the, the kingdom of God and our families, that uh, <clears throat> what's the purpose, the picture, and the plan. Everything that God did uh, was, from God's point of view, was his purpose, so family had a purpose, not to us. We have uh, ideas of what we think a family ought to do and be, but God had a purpose and a picture and a plan for family. We're gonna look at that today because family was his idea, not ours. So let's look at it from his perspective. And then session two this afternoon, we're gonna talk about parenting. What is the process of parenting? When kids come into your home and eventually they leave, you know, kids are, tempor are, are temporary guests in our homes. Our children don't live with us. They don't want to live with us. <laughs> they came into our home and they're gone. So, but when they entered our home and they left our home, we had a, a role and a responsibility as they came through our home to equip them, to teach them. And we're going to walk through step by step what, what happens when a child comes into your home at birth or adoption or wherever they come into your home. And then when they leave your home, what should we be doing to prepare them to leave? So basically, when a child comes into your home, you prepare them to leave, not to stay. So are we preparing them? We're going to look through that process. And then uh, <clears throat> and so I've met adults. I literally have met adults that have come to me for counseling in their 40s and 50s. And you know what they've said? I, the root of my problem was my parents still haven't let go of me. My parents still try to run my life. And, so, uh, and some, of, some of us in here probably have had that experience because uh, <clears throat> it, it happens. And number three, uh, teaching our children spiritual truth. And we're going to find out, obviously, the Bible gives no instruction to the church to teach children. I'm going to say that again because we have, a wonderful, we have wonderful people here teaching children here. But the Bible gives no instruction for the church to teach children. Every instruction is given to the home. So why is the church doing it? Because the home didn't. So we're not, we're, we're, not, uh, we're not just being obedient. We're filling, in, we're filling in a gap. We're filling in for the failure of families, the failure of homes. And it's important that we do that because we're going to do that. Every time there's a struggle, every time there's a gap, every time the ch we're going to move in and try to fill that. But we're going we're to find out that uh, <clears throat> discipleship, teaching our children spiritual truths is the role of a father and a family, not the church. And so not only are, uh, there are some that do that, 
but uh, most people have never seen it, so they don't even attempt it, or, and they feel like they're going to fail at it because of their viewpoint of what it really means. So we're going to look at how do we teach our children spiritual truth. Um, and so that's going to sort of be the, the outline for the day. Let's go to the next one. <clears throat> how many of you ever heard perception is reality? Yeah. We, uh, that's, we say, well, perception is reality, which means uh, that whatever I think is true is true to me. And so I live my life based on that kind of truth. Um, so to, to have a new reality, what do you have to have? New understanding. You have to have an, a new truth. So many times, have you ever been, have, how many of you ever been lied to and you thought it was the truth? I have. I've had people lie to me or I had a concept about something. Later on, I went, man, that was totally wrong. But I actually lived my life based on a lie. I actually responded to people with an understanding that I had that later I found that it was totally wrong. And so uh, truth, uh, new truth gives new understanding, which creates a new reality. One of the things I hope we accomplish this morning when you leave this morning, that you will have a new reality of what your family's about. That uh, most of us, and my wife and I talked about it early on, we, in fact, I, I really don't try to tell people how to raise their kids, especially when I, my first year in youth ministry was 1968, and I had kids in my youth group as old as I was. So I was pretty hard to tell parents how to raise their children, you know, because we never had any. I always tell people, I said, now, I'm not going to teach you how to, raise your children, but you sure have taught me how to raise mine. Because, <laughs> you, you know, you get out there and you see every mistake that can happen. So I, I thank God for being a youth pastor when I was young, not because of what I was able to give, but what I was able to learn when I, when I, because you're dealing with families all the time. So um, we need to look at, uh, I, I, my, my hope this morning is that when you walk out here, you'll have a a new understanding, a new perspective, and actually a new reality of what your family is really about. Why did God uh, create your family? Uh, <clears throat> look at some verses of scripture with me. All right, uh, truth and light. Now, Jesus said he was the light of the world. The, the, the kingdom of God is the kingdom of light. Anytime you hear the word light in scripture, it's not referring to electricity or the sun. It's referring to truth. Understanding the right understanding or truth. So Jesus said, I am the light of the world. He was bringing understanding, God's perspective, God's truth to the world. And so uh, here's what Jesus said. Make sure that the light in you is not dark, is not darkness. What was he saying? We walk, we've believed a lie and we think it's the truth. And then he said it again in Matthew 6, 33. If the light in you is darkness, how great is the darkness? Boy, once you're deceived, you can really be deceived you literally walk around how many of, how many how many of you know people that are walking in a lie and they believe it's the truth the world's full of them jesus said the light came into the darkness and the darkness loved darkness they rejected the truth they rejected the light uh second corinthians uh 11 14 through 15 satan himself uh, masquerades as an angel of light and his messengers as messengers of righteousness. Do you notice it said everybody thinks they're right? If you talk to anybody, uh, everybody thinks they're right. Um, Jesus said that uh, uh, wisdom, that wisdom always justifies itself. So if I, even if I'm wrong and I tell you a lie that I believe is the truth, I'm going to justify it. 
Everybody's going to say, everybody on every street corner, parents, there's thousands of voices out there that are teaching your children lies and justifying their lies and proclaiming this truth. And if we don't understand the truth, then we are so easily led astray. Who's led astray? The, the, the poor and ignorant? No. The wealthy and educated. We're all led astray. This is not something to say, well, they don't understand. And Jesus said one of the biggest enemies of the gospel was those who think they are enlightened and understand the wisdom of men. And what is it to God? Foolishness. So everybody thinks their answer's right and your children are growing up in a world where everybody's giving them their answers. And you, they close the bedroom door and they have that, that thing in their pocket and they have access to the world, to every voice in the world, in the privacy of their own bedroom. I don't think those things are evil. Mediums are never evil. You know, I remember when TVs first came out, well, the TV's evil. No, it's not. It's just a... You know, it's a, an instrument. The evil does not come from TVs. It doesn't come from cell phones. Where does evil come from? The hearts of men. That's where evil comes from. The source of evil is the hearts of men uh, because we are, des Jesus said, we're desperately wicked and we're so easily deceived. I remember the first time, Mary Lou will probably remember this, uh, when our first grandson was born and, you know, they're all goo-goo out over our little grandson. And I was, I was, they were saying, oh, he's perfect. And I said, no, wait a time out. You need to understand that this little beautiful baby is desperately wicked. <laughs> that did not go over well at that moment. My daughter and Mary, my, you know, my, Mary Lou and my daughter looked at me like, don't, don't you ever say that about my grandchild or my child ever again. <clears throat> well, my daughter, two years later, my daughter calls me. <laughs> and she called me, she said, Dad, Isaac is lost in his transgressions. <laughs> Two years old, he won't do one thing I say. He, everything he does is wrong. I said, oh yes, it is, isn't it? We never have to teach our children to do wrong. It just comes natural. The one thing I'm good at naturally is sinning. I don't even have to work at it. it just, I'm just good at it without even trying. So, so it's just a part, as you said, Darren, part of our fallen world, our fallen nature. Uh, so Jesus said, I'm the light of the world. John 14, 6, I'm the way, the truth, and the life. And what we're looking at is we don't want to believe a lie. We want to know the truth. And people say the truth will set you free. You know, um, here's what it actually says. John 8, you need to read the whole thing. Because that, I think that's one of the most abused scriptures out there. Well, when you know the truth, the truth will set you free. In other words, my truth will set you free. <laughs> Listen to me and I'll set you free because the truth will set you free. And everybody claims that. Here's what Jesus actually said. He said, if you hold to my teachings, then you are my disciples. Now listen to what that says. If you hold to my teachings, you're my disciples. You don't hold to his teachings, you're not his disciples. He said, if you hold to my teachings, then you're my disciples. And then you will know the truth, and the truth will set you free. Everybody wants, uh, you know, um, Romans 12, 1 and 2, do not be conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind. Then you will know the will of God. Everybody, 
One of the three big questions young people come to me with, how do you know the will of God? I said, you can't until your mind's transformed, until you think the right way, until you really know the truth and understand it and think the right way. You'll never know God's will. I want to know God's will. Here's what it said. It said, don't long be conformed to this world and think, that, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind. Then you will know what is the good and perfect will of God. So if your mind is not transformed, if you don't have the right understanding, if you're living a lie, you're never going to figure out what God's will is. He said, when the truth of God lives in you, when your mind's been uh, transformed, then you will know what the good and perfect will of God is. Ephesians 4, 17 through 24, the whole thing, it's good to read, but it says, be renewed in the spirit of your mind that you may put on the new man created to be like God in real righteousness and truth. You know what we want to teach our children? I think there's two things we want to teach our children. What's true and what's right. You know what the kingdom of God in the Old Testament and the New Testament, you know how it's described? A kingdom of truth and righteousness. The two things we want to teach our children. I want my children to really know what is true and I really want them to have an understanding of what is right. And so uh, <clears throat> that happens when your mind is renewed. Um, let's go to the next one. What is, uh, now we're, we're, we're operating from 40,000 feet. We're going we're gonna to start at the end. From you, the Bible says you go to the end before you go to the beginning. God knew the end from the beginning. Many times you'll, get, you'll be in conferences and they'll say, write out, write out what's on your tombstone. In other words, how do you want your life to end and then work toward that? I remember James Dobson was talking about that. And he's, he said that uh, he went to his dad. He said, Dad, what do you want written on your tombstone? He said, I want it to say he prayed. And he said, on my father's tombstone is he prayed. He wanted to be remembered as a man who sought God and heard God and prayed. He went to his, he went to his mom. He says, mom, what do you want on your tombstone? She said, I want you to say, I told you I was sick. <laughs> really, that's what, that's what his mom told. Of course, she was the comedian of the family. But uh, <clears throat> um, I like that. I told you I was sick. Um, <clears throat> but we start with the end in mind. So what was God's purpose at the, from, from the end to the beginning? And it was, it was that we, we might have his life, that we might have eternal life, the thing that God possessed that he wanted to share, a life that is everlasting and eternal, life that's built on truth and righteousness. He wanted to give us life, his life. And he said, and this is eternal life that you know me. So God wants us to know him. He, wants to, he, he doesn't just want us to know that he's there. He wants us to know what he's like. He wants us to know him. And he really wants us to be like him. It's hard to be like somebody you don't know. And it's hard to be like somebody you don't know what they're like. So God is saying, I want you to know me. So everything God did was to reveal himself, everything. And so go to the next one. So what, what did God do to reveal himself? What did he do? He created the world. The world, the creation, see, the creation in the beginning was not the beginning. Let me say that again. In the beginning was not the beginning. It was the beginning of creation. It wasn't the beginning of God. And it wasn't the beginning of his kingdom. The kingdom of God is from everlasting to everlasting. It has no beginning. It has no end. So in the beginning meant in the beginning of creation, 
So God created something. And he created it with one thing in mind. To reveal himself. So he could be known. And so it says it. Romans 1, uh, Romans 1, 19 and 20 said, from the creation, from the creation of the world, God has made himself known, even his attributes. Not just that he's there. A lot of people say, well, there's got to be a God. Look around. The creation does not only tell us that he's there. The creation tells us what he's like. That's what it says. Even his invisible attributes are displayed in his creation. So it says, how does it end? It says, so no one has an excuse People say, well, I, I, I didn't know God, and I sure don't know what he's like. And he said, mm, wrong, wrong answer. He said, everything I made tells you what I'm like. All you had to do is look around. Everything I made was to tell you who I am and what I'm like. I wanted you to know me. And so he made the heavens. Guess what the heavens do? They declare the glory of God. Now, that word glory is the word revealed. The word glory is to reveal. The best way to, to describe glory is to look in a mirror. In the mirror, you go, okay, what do I look like? Ooh, you know, it reveals me, it glorifies me, it makes me known. So everything God did was to glorify himself, to make himself known, to reveal himself. So he said he made the heavens in Psalms 119 as the glory of God. So I was thinking, how could the heavens be the glory of God? Uh, what, so you begin to study that, what does that mean? And uh, the two conclusions I've come to personally was... Um, Here's what the heavens are. The heavens are balls of dirt and balls of gas and a lot of space in between them. And that's a good description of God, isn't it? I mean, the heavens declare the glory of God and when you look up in the heavens, there's a lot of empty space and here's a rock called a planet or dirt called a planet. Over here's a, a star that's a ball of gas on fire and the heavens declare the glory of God. What do the heavens tell us about God? That he's big. The heavens tell us how big he is and how powerful he is. That he spoke that into existence. You know what the, the psalmist said? And he holds it in his hand. So does the heavens tell us about the attributes of God? Yeah. He's big and powerful. It doesn't reveal who he is. It reveals some of the power that he has. All right. Uh, so Isaiah 6, 3. The earth declares the glory of God. What does the earth tell us about God? What does everything we see, everything in creation tells us who God is and what he's like. And we're going to look at some examples of that because we're going to make our conclusion about family here in just a minute. That everything God created was to reveal himself. So what does the earth tell us? The earth tells us that God is very wise. That uh, the sperm of a man and the egg of a woman can come together and create a complete human being that's invisible to the eye. And everything that I am was in a dot I couldn't even see. Now, who in the world could figure that out? Well, nobody in this world could. <laughs> that's the whole point. The, the creation, it, you look at every aspect of creation and God's saying, you won't believe how smart I am, <laughs> how wise I am. So the, the earth and all the created things on earth doesn't tell, the, the heavens tell us how big and powerful he is. The earth tells us how smart he is and how wise he is. And so science, all of our, all of our um, Ivy League schools that are now uh, proclaimed, some of them to be very liberal and anti-God, all of those Ivy League schools were started out to be what? 
schools of theology and seminaries. They were all seminaries because they realized if we could understand the creation, guess what? We would know more about God because everything that was being made. So as we learned, and now we've taken science not to tell us who God is and how powerful and how smart and how wise he is, now we've taken science to tell people he doesn't even exist. That's when the truth becomes a lie and the lie becomes the truth. <clears throat> so then he created man to be like him. So the heavens tell us how big and powerful he is. The earth tells us how smart and wise he is. And he said, but I created man to be like me. So you, you, now we begin to know what God is like personally as a person. I was in Haiti and you'll just have to forgive me for this one, but I'll tell you the story. I'm on the, uh, I'm on the fourth floor of a compound that we up build and looking up in the sky, you know, there's no light electricity. So you can see the stars. I mean, the Milky Way just comes down like you can reach up and touch it. You've been there, you know, where there's no, it's, it's incredible at night. So I'm on top of the building. It's about 126 degrees and I'm sweating, you know, laying there and I'm talking to God, you know, I said, oh my. Uh, I said, would you show me something? Just, just do, you know, I'm, I'm looking up the sky. I said, God, just do something for me. Show me yourself. Display your glory. Show me what you're like. So I'm looking up in the sky and right, right beside me, a few places over was somebody else who was sweating and 126 degrees, probably trying to sleep. And you know what they did? They passed gas. <laughs> right in the middle of my moment with God, I heard this noise and I went. <laughs> and just destroyed my moment. I'm going, Lord, show me yourself. <clears throat> I went, okay. And then, but it's interesting what happened is that all of a sudden I heard people snoring and I heard people moving around and, and all my none of my focus was up there. It was about the people all around me. And the Lord said, you want to see me? Don't look up, look around. Those are the only part of my creation that I made to be like me. You want to know what I'm like? Look at them. So he created man to reveal himself. Literally his likeness. And there's a couple words interesting, likeness and kindness. I don't know if you ever compared those two words, likeness and kindness, they're the same word. We're the same kind. We're just alike. So likeness and kindness go hand in hand. We're to be like him. We're to be kind, kind to one another. And so, uh, so here is, uh, he, he makes man. And then the ultimate declaration of himself is his son. So we have it in Colossians 1.15 that God sent his son to the world. And that in 1.15, he's his, his, his exact likeness. Man had fallen into sin. And so we didn't know what man that was supposed to look like God looked like because we had all sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. We no longer reflected his nature, his character. We no longer reflected him, so he had to send his son into the world to show us a picture of what it looked like for a man to be like God. Now we have a picture of what that looked like. So who do we look at? Who, where do we fix our eyes? On Jesus. So all of a sudden, here was a man that was like God, born of God and born of man. And Colossians 1.15 and 1.19 said that he was the image of the invisible God and he, he, that 
God was pleased that all the fullness of God would dwell in him. And in and, and John 1.18, it says, no man has seen God, he's the spirit, but the son has made him known. And, and John 14.9, you know, when they, the disciples said, show us the father. And Jesus, what, what, the, what'd he say? If you've seen me, you've seen my father. Uh, that's true of a lot of people, isn't it? <laughs> I've, had a lot, I've, I've worked with a lot of young people and they come to me and they were going through struggles and they go, you don't know my father. If you knew my father, I said, I know him. <laughs> I've been hanging around with you. I know exactly what your father is like. The whole point is, is that Jesus was a reflection of his father and most children are. It's the way it was meant to be. That was part of the plan that children were to be like their fathers. So scripture says, who is to teach children? The father. And I've, I remember a little girl, uh, her name was, At, um, I remember, um, Dark, Alvin Dark's daughter, help me, I can't remember. Allison, thank you. Allison Dark, Alvin Dark's in the Baseball Hall of Fame both as a player and a coach for the New York Yankees. Well, he, he played for the Yankees and he coached the Oakland A's to three World Series. And we were talking one night in youth group and his daughter, Allison, said, uh, he said, if God is anything like my dad, I sure hope I want to know him. What a great testimony to a dad. If God is anything like my dad, I want to know God. That's the plan. That was God's plan. And yet, I've heard many more Young people say, if God's anything like my father, I don't want to have anything to do with him. I always tell fathers this, you know, it's just part of the job. I said the, the, the scariest thing about being a father is that your child's opinion of God will be their opinion of you. That's, that's the way he planned it. So the gospel of the kingdom, let's go to the next one. Yeah. Uh, the gospel of the kingdom, the message of Jesus, Luke 4.43, he's, um, he says, I must go city to city and town to town and proclaim the gospel of the kingdom of God. So what this, remember I shared with you earlier, I wanted to have a message that I could go anywhere and share that would connect people who God was. How could we, t how could we proclaim the truth of God? And so what I discovered was is that what I had to do is talk about family, not religion. Religion divided and family united. You know what the great common denominator of every person I've ever met, whether they're Baptist or Buddhist or Muslim or Methodist, I don't care, I don't know where you're from or where you're born or what your race is or what your religion is, every person I've ever met, you know what they want and need? A home and a family. Every one of them. They need a family and they want one. So the great common denominator, if God was to reveal himself so he could be known to anyone, what would he use? He's very smart and wise. What does he use? The common denominator that all of us want. The, the common denominator that all of us need, a home and a family. So I believe that the gospel of the kingdom was all about a home and a family. And when sharing, uh, sharing his eternal home and his, with his eternal family, those who share his nature and character. Uh, it's, it's, I'm gonna give you a simple explanation of this. To, to enter the kingdom of God, you must be born again. It's very interesting, the language that's used. The language of the Bible is family, it's not religion. 
You say that again. The language of the Bible is family. It was about Abraham and Sarah, and it was about Isaac and Rachel, and it was about Adam and Eve. And when you start, when, when you start reading the scripture, guess what you're following? You're following families. It's all you're following, the story of families. And so uh, <clears throat> um, here's, there are parallels. So if the creation, so here's the creation, and the creation should parallel the kingdom of God. And the kingdom of God should parallel the creation. How did Jesus teach us to pray? Thy kingdom come, thy will be done on earth just like it is in heaven. There was a parallel. There should be no difference. The way, the way earth works is the way heaven should work. They should parallel each other. They should be just the same. There should be no difference. So he said, pray. You, you want to pray? Pray this. That his kingdom would come and his will would be done here in the created world just like it was done in the, in the world that wasn't created, the eternal world. So the temporary world should be a reflection of the eternal world, should be its glory. The creation was to be the glory of the kingdom. And what did God use to express that glory? He used family. That's what our families are all about. Do you know your family your family's temporary? Your earthly family is temporary. When you make a covenant between a husband and wife, it goes into what? Until death parts you. We'll commit to each other until death parts us. It's temporary. Children are temporary. Children don't stay children. We're not raising children. We're raising adults. We don't want them to stay children. We want them to grow up. And people say, well, I'm raising children. I said, boy, good luck. I'm raising adults. I got them when they were children, but my, my goal is to get them to there. And so <clears throat> there are parallels all through Scripture about family and kingdom. And so another one is being born, being born and being born again. Let's go to the next one. To enter the kingdom, you must be born. Why is that? Well, that God makes it easy to understand his kingdom because how do you enter the kingdom of men? By being born. <laughs> So how would you enter the kingdom of God? By being born. You're born of the flesh into the kingdom of men. You're born of the spirit into the kingdom of God. But when you're born of the flesh, three things happen automatically. You don't even have to do anything. When you're born, you become a new person and you don't have to do anything. And not only that, but you become a family member. The day I was born, I became Benny. But at the same time, I became Benny Prophet. <laughs> One, two separate things. Both of them happened at the same time. I became a new person and I became a member of a family. But not only did I become a member of a family, I became the citizen of a nation. The day I was born, I became an American. I, just all three of them happened just by being born. I became a new person. I became a member of a family and a citizen of a nation. Guess what happens when you're born again? The same thing. You're a new person. You have a new family and you're a citizen of a kingdom just by being born. If we will begin to think this way, then you will begin to realize that God is teaching you about his kingdom every day. And every, and every created thing he did was to be a revelation of himself and what he wanted. So how does God reveal himself? As a father, not a pastor, not a king. God had a chance to reveal himself and he, he, didn't, he didn't reveal himself as a king. 
He didn't reveal himself as a priest, a religious leader. He revealed himself as a father. No mistake. He knew exactly what he was doing. And we're not his congregation. We are his children. And all he's asking us to do is come home. He said, just come home. So you look at the parable of the father, the, the loving father and the prodigal son and the son who stayed. There were two sons. There was a son who stayed and followed the rules and there was a son who left and lived in rebellion. Who was the son who stayed? The Jews. See, everything, every story Jesus told and everything he did was revealing God's kingdom and God's plan. The son who stayed was the son who obeyed all the rules. And the son who left was the Gentiles, us. <laughs> the ones who chose to live in rebellion and sin. And when he called the son who was living in rebellion back home, he said, you know, by the way, very interesting. When the son who chose to live in rebellion said, Father, I want everything that belongs to me and I'm going to do my own thing. And what did the father do? Gave it to him. I think that's very interesting. Shows us a part of the nature of God. You know what God will let us do? Anything we choose. You know what God gives us? Exactly what we ask. Think about that one. God, I don't want to have anything to do with you. Okay. I'll give you exactly what you asked for. That's what he did to the prodigal. He gave him everything he asked for. <clears throat> but when the, when the prodigal went out there and found out what all he thought it was going to be and he came back to the father, it, see, the parable should be the parable of the loving father, not the prodigal son, because the parable was about the father. Because he said, I can go back to my father because he's good. And so the son comes back to the father and he's received. Who got angry? The son who stayed. And what... So the father had two prodigal sons. And so there's a whole, we don't have time to get into this today, but <clears throat> there's a whole story of everything, everything, every parable and every message and every lesson is about the son who stayed and the son who left. And both of them needed to come to the father. So remember this, <clears throat> your family is a picture of the kingdom. So what we have to do is change our minds because most of us do family the way it was handed to us. And if you're some of the lucky ones, you were handed a pretty good picture of what family was about. But there are many in here and many of my friends who were handed a real ugly picture of what family was. And they just reproduced it because that's what we do. Uh, one of my best friends, uh, uh, he actually wound up living with us his junior and senior in high school because every day he went home, his drunk father beat him and finally he just left. And he's still one of my very good friends in our 60s now. But uh, he had his first child when he was 55. Mm -hmm. And you know why he waited? He was afraid he'd be just like his father. Scared to death to have children because he said, I know 
I don't want to be I don't want to be what my father was to me, but I lived in fear that I would be to my children what my father was to me. And finally it took him forty years to get that out of his head. Because the truth is, unless there's radical transformation, a renewing of your mind, a new perspective, a new reality, you will reproduce what you were handed. So um, parents, uh, Abraham lied about Sarah. Said he was his sister. Isaac lied about Rebecca and said, oh, she's my sister. See, you just basically repeat what you're handed. And so <clears throat> we have to change our perspective. We're going to look at, uh, all of us, I, I've, I've met very few people that didn't want their family to be successful. They wanted to have a great family. They wanted to raise kids. And, but what happens is we get caught in between the two worlds of the natural and the supernatural. The natural says, I'm going to reproduce what I'm handed. The supernatural says, I need some divine intervention to make some corrections. And I hope that this afternoon, as we go through this, that you're willing to make some corrections. We all need to make them. Second uh, Timothy 3.16, all scripture is given for teaching, reproof, correction, and instruction in righteousness. Teaching, what we're supposed to do, reproof, we got off track. Correction, back on track, and instruction, how to stay on track. Guess what? We all get off track. We all get off track. We, it's, we're so easily led astray. And so sometimes we just need to meet and say, you know what? Let's figure out where we got off track and let's correct this thing. Let's get back on track again. And that's what I hope happens today, especially this afternoon. Thank you. You've been great. To, thanks for listening. And Darren, come and take us from here. <coughs>